watching The Last Dance, as you talked about on your podcast, right? Yes, I watched The Last Dance. And so I don't know, did you have the same experience I did where the, when Jordan's first retirement uh, was discussed in episode like five or six it was? Yes. Showed the footage of the White Sox 1993 uh, ALCS, I think it was, against the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. And I totally flashed back to that moment. And my, you know, then I think 14-year-old high school self thinking, why are we talking about this? There's an actual baseball playoff happening in front of your eyes and <laughs> obsessing about Michael retiring. Do you remember your response? I, dude, I remember being furious about the idea of Michael Jordan playing baseball. Just, <laughs> just because of what you just said about... You know, we're, we're, the White Sox are, the 93-94 White Sox were like two of the greatest teams of the, you know, I mean, they just were, like that 94 team, was, in my opinion, was going to win the World Series. I really believe that had the strike not happened. And, um, and so there we are, we're talking, we're, we're wasting oxygen on Michael Jordan. And I, I admittedly was, you know, because I was this, really at the time, certainly this blue collar South suburbs <laughs> guy who like felt like, here's another rich guy getting to do whatever he wants to do. Uh, you know, it's like, Oh, I, I, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to leave uh, basketball, but I'm going to be able to play baseball now. And then we're all going to go, okay, Michael, whatever you want. And the whole city rallied behind it. Instead of going, you're not good at it. How dare you? You're taking a spot away from somebody else. And um, so, yes, I didn't, I didn't like it at all. I hated the, all the coverage. I hated that, you know, when he showed up to play the, you know, there'd be more people in the stands for the, exhibition crosstown classic i guess it was still called at the time mm-hmm. and um uh, it in fear and then it even made me like this the child in me was like when he got off to that uh, what it was a 13 game hitting streak i think when he mm-hmm. got off to that i'm like god damn it like, <laughs> come on man i want you to go over 100 and go away and you know <laughs> um and then eventually he did because you know he uh, the pitchers figured him out um and it turns uh, out he was good at something else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it was, um, uh, but I remember being, I, you know, my, my girlfriend at the time, Jennifer and I were at the, the game where the Blue Jays, I, 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 kind of, I hope I'm remembering this right. I drank a lot in the 90s. Um, <laughs> but when the Blue Jays clinched at Comiskey, or I guess it was called, what, what was it called? It was still point? Comiskey back then. It was Comiskey, right? Yeah. Uh, when they clinched it, we were sitting out in the left field, outfield bleachers, I guess, uh, and, Blue Jays won, and I remember to, you know, they're on the field celebrating. I think it was that, or was it? Yeah, I, they would have yeah. lived the White Sox. And, and the guy behind me just going, I ain't sticking around to watch these guys celebrate. <laughs> and uh, I don't like the then, Canadians, Jim. Yeah, I, I, I don't come, Jim. The Canadians are crossing the border. <laughs> All got these that. posers, Jim. <laughs> so it was, and I, but I remember thinking, like, we were, Jennifer and I were watching it because it's like, I felt like, Kind of the same way I do in a movie. It's like you stay, you watch the credits, you, you know, you're there, you're invested your time into it. You know, if they're running around the field celebrating, yes, it's not my team, but it's what's happening. And then the second that guy said that, and he wasn't talking to me, he was talking to his buddy, like he shamed me into going, yeah, we should get out of here. And I remember <laughs> I left as well. And it was like, oh, that's weird. Why did I leave? I, I like baseball. I'm bummed my team didn't continue. In fact, I'm furious my team didn't continue. I couldn't stand the way that, uh, was it Gene Lamont at the time was the yes. manager? Yeah. Uh, I think he handled the pitching that night atrociously. Hmm. Um, oh, and he wouldn't put, was that the one where he wouldn't put Bo Jackson? Really? In? Uh, I, the game? I, I 
I remember them losing. I don't, I don't remember the circumstances of the last game they lost in that series. There, there's one game, Ken, I, and I don't, again, I drink a lot in the 90s. There, there's one game where he, like, he wouldn't put Bo in, mm. and it was like, just maybe, and his argument after the fact was, well, he hasn't had good success against that pitcher and blah, blah, blah. Well, Craig Graybeck doesn't either. So, <laughs> so stop it, or whoever. Like, so take the chance with Bo, because if, if Bo hits the ball, it's going to go out of the yard. That's, so let's take that chance. The, the one thing that Bo was good for back uh, in the early 90s Sox era was you'd call him off the bench, and he would swing for the fences, and every now and again he would hit hit it often at the most dramatic times, like Dude. his first at bat with the White Sox or the first time at bat. the division. And then he clinched it against the Mariners. And it was yeah. like, that, that one against the Mariners, I remember, again, I was there with the, this girl, Jennifer, and it was, the, it was a foggy night. And, the, and it literally looked like a pop-up to shortstop. And it just kept going. And it was un... And I remember being excited because I... Uh, I believe that was a Monday night or was it a... It was a Monday night, I want to say. I was supposed to start at the uh, Indianapolis Comedy Connection the next night. And I was like, God, I hope they win tonight. So I... I, I a, I don't want to have to miss a night of the, of, the, of, of the club. And B, are they going to let me miss a night of the club? C, do I care that they're not going to let me? Like, what do I do? <laughs> And then when he hit that home run, I'm like, I was relieved, like, oh, good. I get to go to work tomorrow as planned. But also, they clinched it. So, yeah. it was, so to your point, Bo Jackson has delivered in these amazing moments. Give him the effing shot, man. I, I would venture to guess that even if you just found one moment where Bo Jackson delivered like that, that would still be more than Craig Graybeck's entire career, right? He did. Well, I, listen, I, 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 I feel badly that I took down Craig Graybeck because I, <laughs> I, I, I believe in that era, in that time, he had some clutch hits throughout the season. Uh, uh, I'm not sure Craig Graybeck is outsports his target audience, so I think we're okay at this point. I, I don't know that. You don't know he's a very oh. handsome young man, little Craig, uh, little Craig Graybeck. <laughs> uh, he, um, uh, but, and, and, and again, maybe I'm misremembering the game with the Bo Jackson situation, but I do remember being mad that Bo wasn't getting in the lineup at, at, at one point during those playoffs, and it infuriated me. I, I don't remember if it was that game or the game prior. Uh, there's also the Jack McDowell nonsense where he was out partying with Eddie Vedder and then, you know, uh, shit the bed. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and Lamont just let him, just left him out there sucking. And that was awful. Um, anyway, uh, there, baseball. There are probably White Sox fans today who, who view that as like a secret Cub fan conspiracy. That, yeah. Eddie Vedder always loved the Cubs. So here he <laughs> is. Screw the Sox again, Jim. You know, that was another thing that I hated too. Like, that Jack McDowell would just spend all this time playing guitar and singing. It's yeah. like, and I recognize we're all allowed to have hobbies. I'm not an idiot, but it was like, you know, focus on your game here, dude. You, you stop it. Desperate to become a musician. Like he, he yes. was one guy that if you could give him the power to leave baseball and join rock and roll, it always felt like he would take that a hundred times out of a hundred. 100. I also feel, I feel that way, by the way, about sports guys that want to be comedians. Like it's oh, like, God. They would leave the major leagues instantly if they were told they, and by the way, they can, because every comedy, 90% of comedy club members would go, oh, I can have, I, I, I can have Bo Jackson come in <laughs> and do a show and sell out at $50 a ticket, of course. So they could do it immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, they, it's so badly, like comics want to be musicians or sports guys, and sports guys want to be musicians or comedians, and musicians badly want to be comedians. Oh, <laughs> do they want to be so it's funny how we all want to be something else and yet and just just stick with what we're good at. That's what yeah, I say. I mean, and have a hobby. 
yeah, all, all of us are doing like the best jobs in the world in terms of right. if you want to make a living, this is about as good a way as you can think of to do it. But you always see that, that person who has the skills that you never possess. Like for me, it's definitely ballplayers. Like, uh, you know, from Little League on, I, anything that requires coordination just doesn't work for me. So you see someone who's able to not only have those skills, but to perform them in front of uh, 30,000, 40,000 people, right. like there's nobody there. And you just go, that must be like, I mean, being on stage and making a room full of people laugh is great and it's a thrill, but to be able to, you just have no mental ability to access what that's got to feel like. And that, that's the great unknown that pushes you to it, I think. Ken, to that point, I went golfing last week. Yes, in the middle of a pandemic, but I did it <laughs> safely. Um, and uh, we stayed all, far away from each other and so on and so forth. But on the first tee, because we, because everybody had to keep social distance from each other and you couldn't go into the clubhouse and they were only letting two guys into the clubhouse at a time to use the restroom. So like everybody that was at the golf course, because the putting greens, the practice putting greens were closed. Everybody that was there was waiting about a hundred, you know, 50 to hundred yards away from the first tee, waiting for their chance to, uh, to tee off on the first hole, which means you have an audience. Mm -hmm. Now I'm a guy who's been on national television. Uh -huh. I'm a guy who uh, performs in front of theaters full of people. And I've been doing this for a, lo a long time. Uh, I have no stage fright whatsoever. <laughs> uh, unless I'm on the first tee in front of a bunch of strangers <laughs> that I'm never going to see again. <laughs> and I'll be damned if my ball doesn't go about 20 yards at the most. It was, <laughs> it was humiliating. It's like, at what point are you not going to be nervous hitting a golf ball in front of people? <laughs> it's bananas. I don't, I don't understand it. It's, it, it's to your point. Like, where is that mentality where like you could black out this audience and just swing a golf club? You a-hole. <laughs> it's, it's just, I mean, it performing in front of an audience is a specific skill for whatever you are best at. And, and if you are not best at whatever a skill is and an audience is at it, that only makes it a hundred times worse. And really the only way I think your scenario could get even more painful is if whoever you were playing with that day or someone you might've known that was looking on just goes, Hey, Bet you can use that in your act, huh, Jim? <laughs> well, luckily, I'm with uh, there were three guys, uh, two guys, and a son who work at uh, two guys who work at Conan, and uh, one guy, and and they uh, they would never have said that. Thank, thank Christ, God. they they are smart enough to not know. <laughs> hey, why don't you throw that in the skit? Yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, let's open the show from that because uh, going from playing in front of an audience to playing in front of an audience of no one on the podcast, and oh uh, no. But what, what, uh, as we're recording, I'm not uh, there are people oh, listening. I understand. Okay, very good. Let's go with it. But this is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 29, the Rod Carew episode of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz. I am a contributing writer for Outsports, Baseball Prospectus, and Cubs Den, and also stand up comedian, which feels like at this point I'm introducing myself as a vaudevillian. <laughs> The other voice you just heard on this podcast is the host of the award-winning Never Not Funny podcast and also the host of the award-ish winning uh, Jimmy's Records and Tapes available on YouTube. Jimmy Pardo is joining us here on Free Street. Uh, hello, Ken, officially. Uh, yeah, even though I, I, I kind of talked myself into a corner there already. Um, I, uh, I don't know what award Jimmy's Records and Tapes got, um, but I welcome them. I don't uh, – I appreciate the – uh, if, uh, if people like music from 1975 to 1995, I take them down a walk down memory lane. Uh, what was happening in each of those years, uh, one episode for each year through my record collection. And I try to introduce some new music and then also just re revisit some classics that people know, but there's always a story associated with it. Um, 
So uh, yeah, check that out if people are interested. Yes, and it, it is, as I told you when I saw you last November, the last time we saw each other in person, which also sounds remarkably quaint right about now. Yes. Uh, Jimmy's Records and Tapes is a delight. Is Thank the you. And the word uh, I'm going to use. Uh, you know, when I last saw you, it was at the Green Room at Zanies in Rosemont, uh, Illinois. Uh, and admittedly, it, it, and this will contradict a little bit of what I just said about uh, not having stage fright or anything like that. Um, I remember that I was, I, when I do the Never Not Funny shows, I get a little bit in my head before I go on. And so, like, you were in the green room, as was, um, uh, uh, boy, who else was back there? there was, Matt uh, was there. Um, gosh. Who, I, uh, Vince Moranto. Yes, Vince was there. And, and, uh, and I want to say one other person. And, uh and then I think my brother popped in at one point. So I was a little in my head. So like you could tell me right now that we had the greatest conversation you ever had in your life. <laughs> and, and sadly I would be like, I may have just been nodding through that. Like, it's like <laughs> I was present, but my head was on the, uh, the show a little bit, uh, which is a rare, that's a rarity for me. But when it comes to the live, never not funny, I, I get a little bit, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to say overthink it, but I just uh, more than standing up where I, you know, you and I could be, talking i could be mid-sentence jimmy pardo and i could walk on stage and that's not a problem but with the podcast it's a little different so anyway uh thank you for i, I don't remember you saying that as my whole long-winded <laughs> point so i thank you for saying it now and um uh, we were supposed to do a season two and we very very well may do a season two uh but the uh the pandemic slowed that process down i, I would definitely look forward to a season two because i mean every tuesday it's a, it was one of the first things that would pop up in my youtube records and i'd be like yep this is going to be a great 10 minutes and it always was and, and and now that it was not necessarily your music, right? That's I wasn't talking about bands this every week that you liked, but the, the surrounding um, uh, story uh, or what's the baseball term? I can't think of it. Uh, the oh, peripherals. Yes. Uh, the <laughs> peripherals were enough for you to be engaged, even if I was talking about a band you didn't give a shit about. Yeah, like like the ops plus of any story about sticks is off the charts, yes. as far as I'm concerned. Right, very good. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Sticks episode, of course, 1977. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, but kind of on the subject of, of going back in the day to old stuff, uh, yeah. the reason I brought you here is we are going way back today. Uh, yes. Because the current baseball news kind of just sucks. The fact that there is none and the owners are determined that there should be none for a while unless the players capitulate entirely. Hey, this turned into a Marxist podcast, but what are you going to do? <laughs> uh so I thought, you know, what is one of the happiest topics that I can talk about to kind of counteract all this? And uh, we're going back to the 1940s, Jimmy Pardo, because we're talking who's on first. All right. Which, I mean, I'll just throw it up. I'll, I'll say it at the beginning. In my world, that's the funniest five minutes anybody has ever come up with in comedy. It's, if, if you were to ask, what is, what is five minutes that will make you laugh the most and guaranteed to make you laugh the most? I will answer who's on first, I think, 100 times out of 100. Now, Ken, I have to tell you how much that hurts me, considering how much you used to open for me on the road. You go for 45 to an hour, Jim. But so. there's a solid five in there that could be strong. <laughs> um, the, uh, here's the thing about, you know, my dad loved Abbott and Costello, so I grew up watching. Mean, we all did. We all grew up watching the, the old clips, and, and certainly in Chicago, like WGN would play them, and my, I think my dad might have even had it like an eight-millimeter film, and we would watch it. And... Um, I remember loving it and then getting and then rolling my eyes at it as I got a little bit older and maybe not appreciating it. And then when I got into comedy and in fact, when I worked with you in Dayton, Ohio, 
and you and I went out for a walk between shows the very first night, and you you kind of brought me back to these guys. Oh wow! Um, and um, you know, I, I didn't know you had a passion for all things that d- weren't relevant. I didn't realize <laughs> that at the time. Uh, but uh, I'm not fond of the talkies, Jim. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know you harken back to a better day. Um, <laughs> but it, it did make me revisit that, and then uh, you know, I've got a, a, a other stuff to say, I guess, about it. But you know, in, in watching, rewatching it to prepare for this episode, we watched uh, Oliver and my wife and I. Um, Oliver's my 12 year old son. Uh, who also loves it, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, we were laughing like as if we hadn't seen it before. Like yeah. it's it's just when you, you know, it, it, I'm going to make a really dumb layman's uh, viewpoint, observation. I remember when I realized growing up that, that Dick's mother's was doing the harder work than Tommy's mother's. Mm-hmm. As funny as Tommy was, Dick was doing the hard work. And it's the same with Abbott and Costello. When you're a kid, at least for me, when you're a kid, lose the look at Lou, look at him, look at that oaf, look at he, look at how funny he is, and that guy's ruining his fun. <laughs> and now when you watch it, you're like, look at the fucking comic timing of Bud Abbott. Look yes. at look at how he is keeping it every every syllable he is connecting and every every beat and every pause. This one goes a minute. This one goes a second and a half. This one goes point one second. He like the genius of Bud Abbott being the straight man and carrying that is unbelievable to me. Hundred percent, yes. So that, and so the thing about about all that is that who's on first? It shouldn't work when you think about it. It is the the premise of it, the idea that we're introducing a baseball team where the players have nicknames like who, what, I don't <laughs> know, why. That doesn't happen in reality. Like you don't right. have Bryce. I don't give a darn. Harper coming up to bat. <laughs> right. You don't see that on Players Weekend jerseys, except if you're Joey Votto and you're awesome. But uh, Joey Votto put who on his Players Weekend jersey last year, which was the best. Phenomenal. Hey, by the way, any first baseman that didn't do that is a failure to me. <laughs> yes. Like they all should have done it. You're, you're uh, but let me, but uh, to, to your, again, to your point of that, it's like also in real life, if you and I were having that conversation, let's pretend those were the nicknames. Let's be for a second. Yeah. Let's be for a second. Uh, you'd go, okay, who's on first? Absolutely. Or whatever. And you go, wouldn't you at one point you go, well, what's his first name? Like, what do you, you would just say that and the thing's over. Like, the conversation's uh-huh. over. So, you're right. It shouldn't work, but it's beautifully done. It's just, mm-hmm. I, obviously, I'm stating the obvious, but... Uh, it, it would be over, except the answer to that is, of course, no. What is the second baseman's first name? Oh, God damn it. Yeah. But that, that's the thing. So, and that, that is also central to the genius of Bud Abbott, is his ability not only to always have an answer for whatever Lou Costello throws at him, and to always have a lead-in to the next punchline of the bit, but to sell this premise to the point where within the first 40 seconds, you, you're completely bought in. Right. That of course, this is who, what, and I don't know, because the, they both get it. They both seem to understand that this is, this is just a normal thing to be, to be discussing and to talk about. And, and once you're in it in the next 40 seconds, that's, that's when you can just expand away and they just mine every direction that that whole routine can go oh. for, for comedy gold. And, and I, I think part of why, even as you say, knowing what the routine is, knowing the directions it goes, I mean, you can essentially recite the basic outline of it. You've seen it at enough points now. It's still funny. It still makes you laugh to hear it. And Part of that is just the glorious sound of, that Abbott and Costello make, that, that rhythm, yes. yes, between 
the, the straight man with, with the husky barking voice and with an answer always immediately there that makes no sense except it makes perfect sense at the same time. And then the high-pitched man who just can't grasp it no matter how he's trying. And right. this, this wonderful cacophony of, of just each one trying to control the direction of the routine. And you hear it in their voice and, and that this fight for control. And it, 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 once it, just the sound of that is, is the thing that, that that's initially gets me laughing and, and that they're just able to play off that. And it's, it's, it's this, this perfect collision of, of guys who just work so well together. It's, it's, it's such an inspiring thing to watch. It really is. And, and, it, and admittedly, Ken, and, and again, I'm a guy who loves it, but it, when you asked me to do this, I was like, all right, well, I better, I better refresh my memory of it and let, let's revisit this. And admittedly, I, I went in going, all right, I'm going to, you know, I'll, I'll look at Facebook while I'm listening to it. I'll do something. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it was the second it started, I was invested again. Yeah. I was like watching it again. I was watching it fresh. I was, and we watched one version. I, I, I want to say the naughty nineties. Yes. The uh, movie. And, and then it was like, and that one was like six minutes long. Mm -hmm. and, and then it was like, well, why is this one eight minutes long? Well, let's find out. Let's watch that one. And before you know, we watched, we watched the second one. And yeah. Uh, and laughed as if we didn't just watch it 15 seconds ago. It was, uh, you know what line? I'm curious. Do you have a favorite line from the entire thing? Um, my favorite line, I, I have two. Uh, my, my first favorite is the moment where they get off the bases and Lou tries a different tech the first time. And he asks, when you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? And the answer is every dollar of it. And Abbott, can, can, I, can I interrupt right there? Yeah. That was, I, I, I literally set you up for this question so that I could answer that's my favorite line of the film. Awesome. That is my, uh, uh, that, then the, and the follow-up. Naturally, why not? He earned it or whatever. I'm paraphrasing yeah. it, but every penny of it. My God, damn it. Perfect. Every, every, yeah. The every best, word choice in that sentence is phenomenal. The best Evan Costello lines to me, and this even goes outside of who's on first and some, into some of their other bits, are the ones where Lou Costello asked a perfectly rational question. And all you have to do is give 10 seconds of clarification. And the answer is either every dollar of it or just yes. Right. And, and, you, and that, that's when they pause. And that, that's the moment where it always settles in in the crowd. And, and you just, when you hear that in, in a live performance of it, that's, yeah. that's such a beautiful noise that they make. Um, and to your point, too, about how it, it kind of, it just, even if you think you're only going to be paying half attention, it just kind of slowly, uh, slowly drags you into to, to the spirit of it. Have you ever been to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown? I have never been. They always have a small portion of the museum that plays who's on first on a continuous loop on some monitor. Okay. And I've been enough times where you see this is a pattern that happens all the time with it, where it'll start and there's like maybe two 70-year-old people in the room that uh, remember, remember the days of World War II kind of thing. Uh, and so it gets going. And then it, uh, at some point, like a family will come in with a dad with like two kids and like, you know, maybe uh, seven and eight years old in this completely fanciful premise. And the dad will start explaining, you should watch this. This is fun. And so they'll pay attention and it just kind of starts to build. And by the end, you look around and there's 20 people who are just stopped wandering the museum and are looking and everyone's laughing. And it's, right. it's just the most beautiful sight. It's when you think about like what you'd want as a legacy for a comic, like I can't think of anything better than that to have that life, you know, 70, 80 years after this was recorded. Kind of need to apologize. Literally the, the, the landline phone, rings once a week and i guess it chose to do it right now so i apologize for that phone ringing in the background uh it could be the Abbott costello estates telling us to stop talking about it it could be them <laughs> we need a hundred dollars right now to, for yeah. the rights to discuss this in the podcast yeah you guys are allowed to talk about it just not quote it that's uh 
Uh, I, I, speaking of that, I was looking for a particular version that they did on the old Steve Allen show toward the end of their partnership last night on YouTube. And it looks like it had been taken down. And I couldn't think, you oh. know, who's taken down Steve Allen clips at this point? Like, is, is Hulu trying to save all the Steve Allen shows? <laughs> like, did they also do it, or maybe it was color? Did they do one very late in their career where it was in color? Or, or do I have like a VHS, or not a VHS, but you, <laughs> a, a DVD or a Blu-ray where they colorized it? Uh, I would guess colorized, because I can't off the top of my head think of any that they ever recorded in color. Because okay. um, most of what they did, especially toward the 50s, uh, they would have done it on TV at that point. And I'm pretty sure all TV would have been black and white still. Yeah, yeah. Wow, uh, oh, okay. I, I just, I, boy, I just have such a distinct memory of seeing a version in color, but I, I, I'm obviously just... Maybe that's, it's, it's, it's just the place that it takes your mind, is that uh, you just happen to see it in color because it, it just lights you up that it's way. So light, it, bright, it brightens my day. Now, here's a funny little side thing to this. So when, uh, when my son was in kindergarten i think kindergarten uh is when i first showed him who's on first and he laughed like a like a jackass like he just <laughs> he just loved it he loved it so much that we got him uh for uh, uh we got we got him this uh, or somebody may have given this to us it might have been you ken now that i think about it uh this who's on first book did you oh gosh that? Uh, I got a green uh, screen going. Sorry, we've, we've given that to my nieces and nephew, I think. But uh, yeah, I've only seen that once before, I think. Uh, so it's Who's on First by Evan Costello, illustrated by John Martz, and it's a illustrated book version for children of Who's mm-hmm. on First. And it's uh, so Oliver would ask me to read this to him every night before bed. So nice. this was the thing that I would read to him, and it was counterproductive because instead of uh, lulling him into a, with a lullaby to sleep. <laughs> He would be cackling and laughing at his dad doing the various voices and, you know, third base and, <laughs> and, and whatever. And so it came to this is uh, it came time to um, for their birthdays. Again, I, it's, it's got to be kindergarten for their birthdays. They were allowed to have their parent or sibling or whoever come into class and read their favorite book to the entire class. And so Oliver said, Dad, will you please come and read who's on first to my class? Oh. And I was like, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea because they're not going to get it. Dad's, dad's not a good enough reader to, <laughs> to convey, like, if they hadn't seen it prior like you have, it may not work. And he's like, Dad, please, you know, so, of course, I do it. So we sit down. I sit on, like, a little ottoman, to, 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 and they're all around me sitting, you know, crisscross applesauce, all the kids. <laughs> For, for me, and so, you know, I hold it up like, you know, like we learn, you know, yeah, who's on first uh, by Evan and Costello, and, then, and they're already laughing. They're laughing at the cover, and, <laughs> and then I turn the, you know, I start it, and they're laughing, and awesome. And it must have been, I don't know, page four, where they're all done. They're, <laughs> they, they, the only person from page four to the end that was paying any attention or laughing was my son. Every other kid was checked out. They wow. didn't care. It, I knew it was exactly what I thought. They weren't, they weren't going to get it. Um, and it was, as you know, how long this thing is mm-hmm. when you're only on page four, you got to yeah. go all the way to the end of it. That's a long time for just one guy laughing and enjoying it. Man. <laughs> it was awful. Uh, but we, you know, luckily he and I have that experience and we get to talk about it. So that, that was a great, the point is in my opinion, had those children seen the video prior to me reading it, they would have loved it yeah. because the video is for a five-year-old and for a 50-year-old. Like mm-hmm. the comedy hits everybody and you can't say that about all comedy. 
Yeah. And that, that was one of Lou Costello's great geniuses is that he figured out, you know, a way that, you know, on a Saturday matinee, you could pack with kids and they would be roaring. And then at night when it was nothing but the parents, they would also just be in the aisles. And yeah. uh, how many comics can you think of off the top of your head that, that can uh, cross that barrier? I guess just Dice Clay. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. That would be it. <laughs> That's why he does the nursery rhymes. That's why he does the nursery rhymes. It's for the children. <laughs> what, if he, what if Dice Clay did, the, uh, and obviously if people don't know, I'm kidding. I'm 100% kidding when I say Dice Clay. <laughs> but what if Dice Clay did do a kid's show where he took the dirty out of the rhymes and he just did the rhymes, like the, the Mother Goose things for the kids, and then dirtied them up for an, for an evening show? Like if we just came out and, you know, oh, Mother Hubbard, and just did it verbatim, <laughs> uh, and then the kids would be like, okay. I think you could get a great kind of like maybe two-minute blackout sketch of Dice Clay just showing up uh, at a, like a regular evening show in a crowd ready to hear Dice Clay and just doing the straight nursery rhyme through what? to the end. Like, then, what? Okay. <laughs> you should get applause at this part. <laughs> Somehow my, my Dice Clay almost... Uh, almost transitioned into a Rodney. Which it is, was uh, 100% Rodney, by the way. It didn't transition. It yeah. started there and yep. finished there. <laughs> uh, my son, by the way, uh, speaking of uh, A, my son, and Rodney, my son, I, we, he finally just got a telephone. Hmm. And, uh, is that what was ringing in the background? Uh, that was no, maybe he was calling himself. Father, father, I need father, you. Father, stop talking about that experience at kindergarten. <laughs> um, his ringtone is Rodney from Caddyshack going, so what? So let's dance. Yes. That's his ringtone, and awesome. I think that's the greatest. And it would only be better if you changed your ringtone to any way you want it. Um, I can't do that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> there, there are some bridges that cannot be crossed. I, I wanted to yes and it, and I couldn't. <laughs> I, I, I panicked. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, so what is, your, uh, what is your favorite Abbott and Costello movie, just off the top of your head? Oh, Jesus, I couldn't tell you that for a million dollars. I okay. don't know. I, uh, I don't think I can even tell you a, a title, Ken. I don't, I'm not uh, as versed uh, in them as you I, are. I will spot you the Abbott and Costello and then add Meet Frankenstein at the end. It's, it's an oh, there we go. go. You know what? It's brilliant. Then, then yes, it's that. Um, yeah. Because we've watched that 4,000 times. Um, is that the only one with them with monsters? Because it's that, all of them. That was the, the first one, yeah. They, they did uh, like a series afterwards. And like any series, it kind of gradually got, you know, less and less funny toward the end but is it safe to say that the that the uh the final one maybe is void of comedy completely uh close to it yeah, yeah. it's uh yeah it's uh the la the, their last movie together like lou costello speaking of transitioning was trying to transition into more of a serious actor so he was you know going to be like this this guy who was here to save a children's carnival or something like that and <laughs> feel bad for the bank repossessing or say it's, it's yeah it's not watchable unfortunately but uh isn't it funny that all uh there's so many of those uh, you know like the three stooges i want to say one of their shorts is them trying to raise money to save a school and then, <laughs> and then the blues brothers end up doing like every like yeah just that era of not that the blues brothers and the stooges are in the same era but like that, that was such a trope of well we gotta save the school yeah i mean that that's it and this is a theory of mine just about comedy in general like Chaplin kind of wrecked that for everybody in terms of he like successfully combined being funny with also some real almost gut wrenching serious moments. Like there, there are legit moments in like City Lights, the, the last shot of it. If you don't cry, you are not human. Uh, so he was great at combining that. But because yeah, yeah. that became the template, then they tried to make every comedian into that at some point because they figured it's not enough that you make people laugh. You have to make them like you, too. 
not understanding. And this is, to me, this is the key distinction. That if you're up there and you're making people laugh, that means they already like you. Yeah. They're already on board. It's, it's why Larry David works. It's why Curb Enthusiasm works. The least likable person in the world. And I can't get enough of watching him fail. Uh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. There's also like, there was that trend in, and maybe it still continues. I don't know when, with, when a comic would do a one-man show and it would be funny for 55 minutes and then the, the last one minute is, and that's when I realized, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, <laughs> we were laughing the whole time. Why do, why do you feel the need to put a button on this stupid thing? Yeah, it's like they don't, they don't understand that it can be important without the sudden twist at the end that makes everybody go, oh, and that's oh. why you were abused. Yeah. Yeah, ex exactly. It's, uh, uh, my friend Boris had the greatest line about one-man shows. I'm going to mangle it, but it was, uh, I always find the best time to think about my one-man show is while I'm watching somebody else's one-man show. <laughs> because you, you do, you kind of just watch it and then you go in and out because it's like, okay, at some point you're going to pay off that your uncle hit you in the <laughs> face or some bullshit or here we go. All right, I don't yeah. know why that took a weird turn, but go ahead. I apologize. <laughs> We're, we're going from who's on first to real dark all of a sudden. I know. I, yeah. I, all I can do is apologize. You know what? Lou lived a dark life. How about yeah. that? That's my story. Yeah. That. There was some some parts. Unfortunately, that's true. But uh, uh, I guess to bring us back into the light for a second, uh, who's on first was the first time that I ever deliberately got laughs deliberately in front of an audience. Did I ever tell you this story? You, wait a minute. So you was it you and another person that got on stage and did it? Yes. Yeah. Back in... Oh. Eighth grade, uh, my junior high school would do like an annual spring quote unquote musical every year. And it was always, it was more like, you know, songs from a musical mixed with, you know, very little plot in between to just kind of, just kind of like a review thing. Yeah. So my eighth grade year, uh, our music teacher who was in charge of it told everyone that we're going to have everybody do a whole bunch of unrelated comedy sketches. So you're having right. 12 and 13 year olds trying to make audiences laugh. Right. It is as horrific as it sounds. <laughs> Do you have uh, videotape of this, by the way? God, I don't believe... Uh, someone probably does, but I don't yeah. think I do. Uh, but I was cast as the Bud Abbott role in, in Who's On First. Yes. And uh, So uh, the guy who was Costello and I went up... He was a really good actor, too. Like, he was one of the guys who always got lead in, mm. in high school and stuff later on. But uh, we went up, like, maybe halfway through the show, and this was an audience that was sitting through, like, eighth graders and seventh graders dressed as bees or pretending to be the Brady Bunch. So just right. kind of patiently, uh, and we went up and something about, something about the routine. It just, like, they focused right away. And this is, you know, my memory from almost 30 years ago at this point. But we crushed. That uh, I, re I remember, like, it was, it was acknowledged. This was the hit of the eighth grade show. Yeah. And getting off and thinking, I, mean, I already knew I liked Abbott and Costello at that point because I was a fucking weird kid. But uh, but just getting off and thinking, man, this is one small bit of what they went through. Like every time they went up with this, uh, and that that planted the seeds for me of so, pursuing comedy. You and this guy, because look, you're, you're a great stand up, and uh, and I am also, by other people's words, a great stand up. Those other people you, are anybody with taste. Yes. Well, you're very kind. But if you if you ask me today, hey. Why don't we, for this uh, charity event at at the school, do Abbott, uh, do who's on first, and you be Bud Abbott? Which, by the way, I would love to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think I can memorize it. I don't think I could get the timing down. And you're saying that as an eighth grader, you guys got the timing down? I mean, I'm brilliant, Jimmy, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's uh, wow. <laughs> no, I, mean, I mean, that that's impressive because the timing is 
Yeah, I, like I don't. If, you, know if how, you even have to think for a second about what your line is, the timing's off. Yeah, I, I don't know how we did that, other than we just must have rehearsed it over and over and over to right. the point where it was second nature. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I remember it going like so well. And I should also add, uh, might have been maybe the only rendition of Who's on First where it turned out Abbott had a crush on Costello. Oh, geez. Uh, so, yeah, there, there was that going on, too. For, so a new for, version, a gay yeah. version of <laughs> Abbott. Uh, that'd be Abbott and Costello meet the bathhouse, yes. We're gonna... uh, that would be a funny thing for you to write. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't mean in a derogatory way. I mean, it would be a funny <laughs> uh, sketch. I don't know what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Uh, what? Wait, I had another question about you uh, doing that. Um, ah, I forget. But it does remind me that you called your... Uh, 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 your fantasy baseball team last year, you called the, the you named them the St. Louis Wolves, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes. And uh, Ken, is, uh, as great as that eighth grade uh, talent show went for you, how'd your fantasy baseball team do? <laughs> uh, the fantasy baseball team went as well as it would if I were playing baseball in real life. It That's, is. Yeah. I, I have never, and I mean this sincerely, I have never been so disappointed in somebody. <laughs> I literally thought because of your ability to crunch numbers and be focused on everything about baseball, like I warned everybody in the league, oh, God. Ken's going Ken's to crush us, you guys. Oh, he shit. doesn't, he, he, he's going to crush us. He's going to embarrass us because he knows these things and, and he obsesses over these things. And Ken, I'm not good at fantasy baseball, but you may be the worst fantasy baseball player in the history of the game. Yeah, I, I think part of that is that, uh, Honestly, I, I don't think I have a fantasy baseball mentality in my approach to the game. Like, I don't understand I know, how you don't. It make it, it again on paper. You yeah. should be the best player in the world at that. Yeah, I and mean, maybe if if I wanted to sit down and just like devote myself entirely to pursuing like being great at fantasy, that I yeah I, I probably could pick up on the tricks of that. Uh, I just get too distracted by everything else. Like, like I. I, I don't want I, – it, it's a weird distinction to make, but I, I watch baseball games on TV that I have no rooting interest in just because I like watching them. Yeah. Like, I don't like approaching it thinking, well, you know, if uh, Fran Mil Reyes does well in this Padres game, then maybe I can trade for him for the next couple of weeks when he gets hot. I, I just like watching it uh, because I like watching a Padres game, which is some really weird form of masochism. But um, uh, in, in this particular case, I think with, with my fantasy team, like – one of the first guys I drafted last year was Corey Kluber, who pitched what, like eight innings entire. The yeah, you know, year. you're right. You did so, get uh, hurt the yeah. but there was also th- a thing of yeah, Corey Kluber got hurt within the first two weeks, and it's like, well, you know, that's you know, half of my pitching is going to come from that. Uh, right. I'm fucked. I don't give a shit at this point anymore. Yeah, it was. Um, I was bummed. I I was bummed on your behalf because again, I had uh, I just assumed you were going to clean up and. Yeah. And when you uh, uh, when you didn't, it was just like, oh boy, I miscalled that. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm sorry, man. Wow. I thought I thought you'd enjoy it. Like I I misread, even though you told me I don't think I'm going to like this. I'm like you'll like it. <laughs> like, I, I I literally thought like that. All you needed was that push over in the fantasy baseball, mm-hmm. and then you would go, hey, you know what? I apologize for telling you I wouldn't like it. This was the greatest. I can't wait to do it next year. I'm all in on fantasy. Instead, it went the complete opposite way. Yeah, I, I like the fact that you, you are not a stage dad at all. At like at all, like you you're let, perfectly willing to let your son explore whatever he's into, whatever he thinks is cool. And the one aspect that you are a stage dad apparently is in with me in fantasy baseball, dude. I, I again, because I truly thought you would enjoy it. Yeah. I I, oh yeah, it would make sense. Uh, it's just yeah. I, I, that particular thing just. 
does not hold my interest for whatever reason. Yeah. And I can't really quite explain it as the past five minutes have shown, but it, um, I knew there was trouble though. Or, uh, when you, uh, when you uh, bid on Jake Arietta as if it was uh, seven years ago, I think yeah. that was the uh, time like, Oh, Ken's not going to be good at this. Oh, damn yeah, it. That's, that's the thing is that, yeah, I can't really separate. like when push comes to shove, uh, you know, I can talk a lot about smart baseball and, you know, I'm just discussing it. Yeah. You know, I can acknowledge that Arietta is definitely toward the last couple of years of his career, but there is that big, big meatball fanboy inside of me that, that right. I, if, if you put him out there for me, you know, he won me a damn world series. And I say, I say me like, like that's what he was going for at the end, but, but that's what it feels like with Jake Arietta. And, and I can't quite separate myself from that, you know, and I don't uh, want to either. I, I, by the way, completely off of that, uh, that uh, not that I did ignore what you just said, but it, it made me think of uh, this story that just came out, I think it was yesterday, about Joe Madden finally admitting that he uh, handled the bullpen wrong during the World Series. Did you yeah, and it was article one, one move he admitted wrong, too. And it was it was a wrong move. So we, uh, okay. that is progress, yeah. Um, and now is that – I'm trying to remember the our time together. Was that the – were we working together the World Series, or was it the next year that we were working together – where you, where I heard you in the hotel yelling at the umpire. Yes, that that was the next year. The, 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 World, the, next Series, year. the World Series year was uh, you joined up in Cedar Rapids after Game Seven, and uh, where I was in Dubuque. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it was all. I by the time you joined up, I was already just the world is great and nothing bad can happen to me, and and my my life's goal, my life's dream has come true, and that lasted for six days. So uh, we had six days. Uh, but yeah. That's all you need. Yeah, the, the 2017, uh, what you're talking about, uh, one, of, one of my favorite moments of our time together when I was opening up for you in, in the same hotel in Dubuque, Iowa, by the way, where I watched yes, win it uh, the previous year. Uh, it was game four of the Cubs-Dodgers NLCS, and I'll try to make this as quickly as, as I can. Uh, but the Cubs were down 3 nothing, so they were going to be eliminated, but they were fighting for their lives, and they were winning late. And I think it was Curtis Granderson uh, had swung and missed for strike three, but had fooled the umpires into thinking, I think it was like they fooled him into thinking he foul-tipped the ball. Okay. Reacted like he did. So, like, he hoodwinked. And I remember it was Eric Cooper at third base uh, who called it. Uh, it wasn't strikeout, strike three. He's safe. It's, it's just, just a foul-tip. And so the Cubs are just barely trying to hang on to their, their, their lives at this point. And I lost it on him to the point where a minute later, I get a text from Jimmy, who's one hotel room over, and I believe the text is something along the lines of, was that you yelling fuck <laughs> you over and over and over? And I had to admit, yeah, this, this is Cub fan me. This is in... I, I think we... I don't think I was one hotel room over. I think I may have been on a different floor. It was... <laughs> you were a distance away from me, and I because it was in the distance, and I was like, this guy's going crazy. Yep. This guy, and it didn't dawn on me that it was about the baseball game because it was like, <laughs> what? It, like, why is, boy, man, this guy's going nuts. Whatever he's mad about, he's mad about it. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me that it was syncing up with the baseball on the TV. And it was like, oh, shit, that's Ken. And that's, what I, <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was like, is that you? And yeah. it was, uh, I don't disagree. That may be my favorite moment of you and I on the road because it yeah, was, that, that was delightful. wonderful. You got to see behind the curtain for a second what I, what I can turn into. Uh, oh, my God. It was, yeah. here's the smiley face Ken Schultz going, fucking bananas <laughs> as my grandma did when i yelled fucking christ at her or not at her but at the tv over and over again when alfonso soriano <laughs> dropped a fly ball once so yeah <laughs> I, I handle things real well 
Jimmy Pardo, do you have a baseball book you'd like to re recommend our uh, social distancing book club here on the Three Strikes You're Out podcast? Here's the thing. I've not read either of these, uh, but I'm going to recommend both of them. A good place to start, yes. Uh, my friend, uh, Bean, of Kevin and Bean, the radio show here in Los Angeles, he now lives in England, but he, uh, he bought this book and read it and then sent, uh, said, you will love this book. And admittedly, I just did not, I, I've not had a chance to read it yet. Uh, this is the, um, uh, uh, the Big Chair by Ned Coletti. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, so he, um, he recommends this book. Uh, the smooth hops and bad bounces from the inside world of the acclaimed Los Angeles Dodgers uh, general manager. So, um, uh, so there's that. So the big chair by Ned Coletti, which uh, Bean is a, um, he loves an autobiography. He's uh, very well versed. So if he says it's a great book, uh, there's no reason to believe that it would not be because he's told me in the past of another autobiography uh, where I was like, Oh, I just got this autobiography and I can't read it. And he goes, Oh, it's the worst. And <laughs> I don't want to tell you which one it is because um, I like that person. Fair enough. And, uh, and then I also got, I just got this, I got the, I say just, I got it for Christmas. Was it Christmas? It was, uh, let's take a look at the uh, receipt here, Ken. It's, uh, uh, oh no, I'm embarrassed to say I got this for my birthday last year. Ah, you're off uh, the podcast. Uh, 2019, my in-laws got me, uh, this is Paul Goldberger, Ballpark, Baseball in the American oh, City. Yes, that's great. Yes, you will love that. Oh, great. And so, um, uh, I look forward to reading that. I just had, you know, I go through phases with reading where it's like, I will read nine books in a month and then I won't read again for a year. And hmm. that's where I'm, apparently that's where I currently am. So yeah. well, um, if, if you're going through the nine books a month, there is no better time than now to be doing yeah. that. At the same time though, I can't focus on reading. I, I'm tr sure. I try and then I lay on the, I like, oh, I'm going to read. And then my mind, it just wanders and I can't focus. But those are the two that I recommend based on other people's recommendations. Awesome. All right. I, I have not read the Coletti, but uh, I know he started with the Cubs as well. So that's definitely a point in his favor to, to check out. And the Goldberger one, as I say, is phenomenal. You will oh, love great. it. great. Okay, great. Uh, the one that I am doing this week is uh, kind of a biography classic. It's uh, Joe DiMaggio, The Hero's Life by Richard Ben Kramer. Oh. Uh, Richard Ben Kramer is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Uh, this book came out a couple of years after DiMaggio died. And did more than anything I can think of to puncture the myth of, of what people thought he was versus what he actually was. Uh, whereas up until the point that he died, he was, most people associated the, the image of him as this heroic Yankee captain who was someone that everybody in the locker room looked up to and someone who everybody wanted to be in this life that was so worthy of emulating. And it turns out he is a dullard and a prick. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's but it, it's not like a, a daddy dearest expose either. It's 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 really, really well researched and it goes oh, real deep into his life. Uh and it's a fascinating story of someone who was really not at all a fascinating person. And it's it's written as well as it can be. So uh so yeah, anything else you'd like like to plug while I got here, Jimmy? Uh no, but I do have a question for you. Did you ever watch the TV show Smash? Uh I don't believe so. I'm not uh no, I don't think so. You know, it's 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 a uh show about putting up a musical called bombshell which is the life of marilyn monroe oh okay and, yeah. and of course there's a, a big part of joe dimaggio in there um and um uh whenever i hear joe dimaggio's name now i only think i, I sadly think not sadly i i loved the show smash and i like the bombshell musical within a musical hmm. um and uh but uh, i i guess i started this by saying maybe you should check it out because you are such a baseball fan you don't need to I, i'm gonna <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backpedal on that and just go, well, you're good. Live your life. 
I, I think if this podcast has proven one thing, Jimmy, it's that I have no interest in classic movies at all. So yeah, Marilyn Monroe, no, no, no reason to watch at all. Well, no, this is Smashes from like five years right, ago. Right, yeah, funny, yeah, yes. Uh, but um, you're out. Uh, but yeah. I, I heard. I'm, I'm trying to end the podcast on a joke. Yeah. I got it, and I stepped all over it because I, I, I was so. Here's here's what happened. I was in my head about how dumb it was that I brought up Smash. <laughs> when you when you made your joke, all I all I was hearing was dummy. Just let the show end. Like that's all I was hearing <laughs> in my head. So. Uh, go right ahead. I, uh, I'm going to assume, assume that dummy just let the show end has been going through your mind for the past 45 minutes. So, uh, no way. I'm not even. <laughs> gonna, I'm not going to let you have that joke. I've enjoyed the hell out of this. Yes, this is uh, like the web series, Jimmy. I'm going to say this has also been a delight. So, uh, thank you for thank you very much for joining me, my friend. It is. Uh, it uh, thrilled when I got your text asking me to be a part. I was thrilled to to uh, to have been asked. So, thank I, you I'm thrilled to talk to you every time. So, it's great. Wonderful. Me.